welcome. This is episode number one of the Embassy Coalition podcast. I have a special guest with me today. His name is Jeremy Solentano. We go back a long way. It's funny, time passes really fast, and you don't think about how long it's been. When, when did we meet? I can't remember. Uh, I think... Did we meet when I moved? We met before I moved to Arkansas, right? That I was think, in 2008. Yeah, I think we were in California. We met there. You came out when when your in-laws were out in California. Yeah. And I think we went to a Catalyst with you guys. I flew out to a Catalyst conference yes. the yep. year before I moved to Arkansas. I'd forgotten about that. Yeah. I think that was 2007. I probably have photos. My kids tell me all the time. They're like, hey, you remember that? And I'm like, no. No. <laughs> I don't know what I do remember. Tell him, tell him Uncle Sally remembers. <laughs> Uncle Sally remembers. I'm like, I have no idea whatsoever. Yeah. Yeah. So you moved out. So um, currently I am um, in residing in Houston, Texas, southeast Houston, Texas. And uh, Jeremy, you're in Southern California over yeah. in the... Orange County area, Huntington Beach, is where our church is planted. It's where you have to purchase your weather. It's really expensive to live there, right? That's the only reason you live there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, so currently you're there, but where we really got connected and spent a lot of time together was actually in Arkansas. Correct. So uh, we were both on staff together at a church in Russellville, Arkansas, and um, that was an experience. That was from, what you said it was from 2008? We moved there in May of 2008 and moved away in May of 2013. I think we were two weeks shy of being there five years. Oh, wow. Yeah. We were arguing about that last night. I don't remember it being those dates, but... Yeah. We've already established you we, don't remember. We remember what? <laughs> I had a bike wreck. That's a whole other story. We could go, We could chase that. It's an embarrassing we're story. We're chasing that rabbit. Not a, not a motorcycle, a bicycle, but anyway. Okay, yeah. No chasing rabbits. So, um, we really got to spend a lot of time together and just developed a really deep relationship when you were there in Russellville. Um, and we were doing during that season, kind of what we wanted to talk about in this episode is just another, just another view, I think, or a slice into church leadership and from your perspective in church leadership, because you're currently leading a church in Southern California. You can talk just a tiny bit about that, and we'll do some backstory after that. Okay, sure. Uh, we were, prior to COVID, we were meeting in a high school, typical for a church plant. We planted in, actually opened in 2016. I don't remember. 2016. Oh. And uh, with COVID, we ended up uh, shutting down for two weeks, of course, to flatten the curve, turned into about five months. And I said, okay, we're over this. Let's just meet in the park. Mm -hmm. So we began uh, meeting in Central Park, which is a large park in the middle of Huntington Beach. And uh, we, from there, we've just been, we, we hike in, <laughs> we hike, hike in with our camping chairs and we sit around. I've got a portable uh, sound system. Uh, and when I say portable sound system, I mean a wireless Bluetooth speaker, <laughs> like one of the ones you'd put in your backyard and um, using AirPods and, you know, that's a microphone. And yeah, it's been interesting, uh, but uh, it's, it's definitely a different experience Mm -hmm. from what typical church would look like. Some of my pastor friends in California, they joke, they're like, you're like that cool bar where you have to know somebody to know somebody to find <laughs> out where Activate Church meets. You're, you're hidden. <laughs> Just yeah, like, we're uh, hidden. 
who put that sign up? Take it down. Yeah. T- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's definitely a different approach. And uh, so that's where we want to get to on well, this episode. Well, what's bit. interesting is when we were meeting in the school, this is kind of funny. We would set up every week. It'd be about two hours, you know, set up, tear down. So set up in the morning. And it was me and a handful of other people setting up. It was fairly minimal. Uh, I, I intentionally wanted it minimal. Uh, I didn't want it to be about, you know, the show, creating a product for mm-hmm. people to consume, uh, but a lifestyle to live and lead their family mm-hmm. into and see if that could actually uh, work. When we were there, you know, I thought, wow, this is still a lot of work. We still do a lot to set this up for one hour, hour and 15 minutes. And I always wondered what would it be like to do church in the park? And I just never had the guts to pull the trigger. Like, how do you do kids? How do you, you know, so then COVID came and wrecked our opportunity to be in the school and, and the park became the only option at that point, other than meeting in another uh, church building, which a lot of the churches were not open anyways. So that is on kind of the tail of your evolution, at mm-hmm. least where you are right now. So that's an interesting um, contrast mm-hmm. from where we were in Arkansas. So let me rewind to that and let's go and talk about how that transition happened with you moving back to California right. and then kind of the why behind yeah. uh, where you are and what you're doing right now. And then and talk about the what as well, because mm-hmm. I think one of the things that we want to do as a part of what we're doing with the coalition is we want to be able to just put different thoughts in people's minds, yeah. such as what if and the question yeah. why. Why is it that we do what we do? What is the mission that we're actually trying to accomplish? And then... Who is it that maybe has shown the way? Because what I found is, um, I described this recently to a group of leaders, is that I feel that part of what we're doing in this uh, season of the church is we're actually re-pioneering. Mm-hmm. Uh, I say re-pioneering. I don't know if we've, I think we're recapturing maybe something that existed before, but it's new to us. And so it's the brand, it's the first time we've ever tried to do this. And so it's right. pioneering for us. Right. So the part of the problem with pioneering is there's no map. No map. You have a compass. It's an adventure. (laughs) Yeah. You have a compass. You're like, I know it's this way, but you don't know what that is. Like the compass says north is this direction, but it doesn't say, or it says where north is, but not what north is. And you're like, I don't know if there's alligators or what over there. But to inject right there, I think, I think from a first principle standpoint, that's the beauty of the gospel is that we don't have to have a map. We have to have Jesus and a sense of adventure and a willingness to see how God designed our lives, how he made us unique for this earth, for the geographical reason that we are place that we find ourselves, and then see what that expression of the gospel would be in a local context. The problem is, I believe as Americans, we want to hold on to security and something that we can know, but the gospel is unknown. If we rewind to when Jesus was there, the disciples followed him around. Jesus said, follow me. Right. And they did. And he said, what do we, he said, they said, they said, master, what are you doing? He said, follow me. And and they followed him. And Mm -hmm. it was like, they knew things happened every day, but he didn't explain anything to them along the way. It was a great adventure. And I think what the church, what Christians, what God 
people are doing, Jesus followers, is we're missing the sense of adventure and a way to know God in deep ways and know why he made us the way he made us. Because we we want to have the pieces, we want to know where the next brick is that we're supposed to step on. And it's like the Indiana Jones in the Last Crusade. It's like you got to walk across that chasm mm-hmm. and you just have to take a leap of faith, a step of faith. Just yeah. one. You don't have to leap. You just have to take a step of faith. And if if God is true mm-hmm. to his word, then he'll be there. And in hindsight, we'll see. Yeah why God designed us the way he made us, why he brought certain people into our life along the way. And then we get to live this great adventure and see God now and not wait for him in the future for eternity. Yeah. Sorry. That's really good. No, no, no. That's good. That's good. It's good preaching. You can take an offering. (laughs) Yeah. Give me your wallet. (laughs) No, I'm not going to do that. You can have my Apple pay, but you don't have my thumbprint unless you cut my finger off. That'd be bad. Um, Okay. So, so you wanted to rewind. Yeah. I want to rewind. I want to go back because what you're talking about now, and, and honestly, probably all of us that are in leadership, that we're in leadership together there are now in a season that was, is very unlike Mm. what we were in there. But let's go back to that because we, we, were, we were evolving in our understanding of what the leadership challenge was on our life at different paces. And we also, I think, had different, um, um, not just perspectives, but different expressions that God had inside of us in order to be able to achieve what he was calling us specifically to do. And so there was this really great cohesion that we had mm-hmm. together. But then as we walked together, there became this tension as well. So I want to talk about um, kind of where we were. So mm-hmm. when we started, um, the the church, the intent of the church was to be something that, right. that unchurched people would love to be a part of. And then we proceeded to have all the programming and all the, th- the things that were just normal, typical church. Mm-hmm. And we filled the building with church people and we have very little impact on the community. So it was after a long series of things that could be its own story. Um, the church transitioned into leadership. And then we actually did a pretty hard turn um, from what was really the, the revival movement in the 90s and a lot of other things that we had going on and really became a seeker-sensitive church. Mm. And for good motive, good intent, yeah. that we were trying to say, what is it that we can do that will grab people's attention? Attract bring the in? outsider. Absolutely, yeah. which is obviously the heart of Jesus. How can we bring Correct. outsiders? In fact, he yeah. says that you know, when they were asking, you know, why is Matthew talking to these why is Jesus hanging out at Matthew's house with all these tax collectors? Mm-hmm. He said uh, in the in the message translation, it says, he said, I'm not here to coddle insiders, but to invite outsiders. Yeah. And so we know that that's the heart of Jesus. And so our heart was definitely in the right place. But um, and you came in kind of in that season. Yeah. It was um, ep- whatever we could do that was epic. It was uh, epic was the theme. That was the theme. Experiential participatory uh, image base and connecting. Yeah. And so we did a lot of those things. We did uh, big props, sets, uh, staging, um, shows, whatever whatever you might call that. Um, and, and, and a lot of unchurched people then did begin to come. Yeah. And so you were there and you were kind of part of that whole movement. And that's what you were speaking to. Can you say that again? Because there's... You're saying when you came, we noticed that there were a lot of people showing up. Right. But then there was kind of well, a disconnect. One of the one of the things that 
and I'm probably going to lead into some of the tension. This is probably where, this is probably where my uh, philosophy of church began to diverge from the model that I was in, mm-hmm. and and this is probably I think where the tension started um, injecting itself, the the division there, uh, and. Can I, can I interject there? Sure. I just thought of something that I want to just interject. So I want you to walk through that, but it just popped in my mind and I wanted to say it. I think it's interesting that God brought you into something to then expose the reality that that's what, not what was in your heart. Right. And so I, so I just want to speak to where I think some, uh, some church leadership is right now and people are right now, they find themselves in this great tension. Mm-hmm. And I think that is actually by design that God brings us yes. into that place to begin to expose the next thing. But if he can't show, sometimes it's almost like you have to see what this is not I'll, a good description. I'll, I'll place it. I'll, yeah. I'll, I know where you're yeah. going. Yeah. I love, I love and still have great relationship with everybody who was originally on staff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but there, there was this, this tension that crept in because there was a disconnect between what we were doing and what the gospel mm-hmm. requires of us, which is the the gospel requires of us to go and make disciples or, or make disciples along the way. And we were attracting people, but they were not growing in depth. And what I started realizing very quickly is and this is this is no this is no indictment. I I believe that God brought me there to plant some seeds because I wasn't the type of person to just go along. I would <laughs> I'm a contrarian. And when I see something no. that's not working, I'm like, why are we still doing this? This is yeah. we're just like throwing more money at it and more people just makes it an epic failure, a, a greater failure. Yeah. So why are we doing this? And what I realized was that God was using that time to prepare me to do something different. And essentially, God just showed me, yeah, almost do the opposite. Hmm. And that'll be a good place to start. Mm -hmm. I learned a lot of the things that I shouldn't do Mm -hmm. to achieve the goals that I wanted to, which is creating a community of people who love one another. Mm -hmm. Like the Bible says, you'll know them by how they love one another. Mm -hmm. And that was really the beginning of my journey. I had no idea that my journey would be uh, what kind of pushed me out of the nest and made me uncomfortable enough spiritually, Mm -hmm. relationally, and taught me things about God that would allow me to have the courage to step out into the great adventure. Yeah. And, and that's where, I mean, that was just one of the scariest things I ever did in my life. Move my family of five back to California with no job and plant a church with nobody. I mean, I mean, we had some families that came with us, but the reality is like, who's going to come? Mm-hmm. And I just said to God, I said, God, here, look, I'm going to do what I think you're asking me to do. But if it doesn't work, I'm going to have the greatest little house church. And it's going to be epic. We're going to love each other. We're going to have a few families that just do life together. We bless people with our income and, and we do this. And, and that's not, that's something that's actually very appealing to me. Yeah. Um, but it turns out that people wanted to come and have mm-hmm. a different experience and expression of church. What we've built is something that is, it's, it's been beautiful. It's been beautiful yeah. to watch people love each other, you know, like from a centralized standpoint, Mm -hmm. I remember 
I remember trying to pastor and lead and connect six, seven, eight hundred people. And the task is monumental. It's you can't do it. People really do have to make those own individual connections on their own. And that's what we've seen happen as a result of doing church in a different way. So that's been part of the journey yeah. that I didn't expect yeah. uh, from the get-go. Interesting. So um, you've talked just a little bit about it. Let's delve into more of, um, first of all, let me just tell the contrast in the story. So you said it there. So we, what we were doing at that point, and, mm-hmm. I, and honestly, most of us, that we're in leadership there have evolved past that point. Now yeah. we're, we're saying, okay, there, there, there has to be not necessarily something new, but something different to achieve this result. And so almost everybody that is in leadership there is making those challenges. But, um, so in contrast to, to paint the picture just briefly without really giving it a, a thorough actually description, but in, in the most simple description possible, you went, what you felt was in your heart was the exact opposite of what would be seeker-sensitive, high-production value, weekend experiences, centralized leadership, right. where they're, right. how you've described right. is everybody's looking to the one man on the stage, and it's your responsibility to give care at some level to mm-hmm. however many people decide to show up. Be that 100 or 10,000, right? You have that centralized. So that that was kind of the model and the picture of what that yeah. looked like. It was very attractional. People love being there. They mm-hmm. love ex- what you We love doing it, John. We did. Yeah. We had a lot a of great, fun. We had a lot of fun. So then you just flip the switch completely and you go now where you said you, we started with a description of what you're doing now. You're literally walking in with a Bluetooth speaker and people are carrying their own seats. Like that's Actually, that lets you know that they're a servant because that's that's the measure of whether or not you serve the well, church is if you stack a chair. Yeah, <laughs> I need to see if they're willing to carry a second chair for another person. That's when we'll really know. Bring two. Bring that's two. the new litmus test. One and, for you, one for a friend. And so I, I want to say something for you right here, but I want to come back from it, not mm-hmm. really go through this yet because I want to I want to dive into that uh, later. When you come back and you describe your what, I, I want to come back to why. But where you are right now is you're saying that when you have the opportunity to go back into an environment that you're going to have to set up, you really have no motivation to do that at this point, uh, at right. least where you are. Right. You're, you're saying we can actually leverage how we're gathering, which is literally people having to find you, having to carry in their own seats, mm-hmm. gather in a public setting, and worship together. So that's where, So in the contrast of the two... At least that's not the entirety I know of, of what you're doing yeah, as a yeah. church. You have a lot yeah. more focus behind it. So I want to get into those what's. Yeah. There's a why behind why you want to gather that way and do that. So it couldn't be further apart is really, right. I guess, right. what I'm trying to say. So so I love, I love the idea. Part of my contrarianism comes from a position of uh, first principles, of axioms. A lot of things that we do in life, we do because we've seen it done somewhere else and Mm -hmm. we don't know why we've done it. One of the questions that I really asked myself when I was preparing to leave Arkansas and figure out what it was going to look like in California, I asked myself this question. I think Jesus gave me, I think God gave me this. And it was this question, if Jesus came back to build his church today, would he raise a lot of money, buy and rent a big building, 
fill it full of people to watch him teach for an hour for a week and then ask them to invite their friend back the next week. Hmm. And when you ask yourself that question, you really, it really takes you to the heart of what we're doing. What are we currently doing? And if Jesus wouldn't do that, it begs the question, right? If Jesus wouldn't do that, if we, if you and I, John, don't believe that Jesus would do that, the question then is, if we are followers of Jesus, what would Jesus do? Then why would we do that? That's, that's what rocks my world. That's what rocks my brain. Like, how can I go back to doing that? Mm-hmm. When it's not, getting, it's not producing the desired effect. Look, if we were making disciples and people were going out there and building the kingdom and denying themselves, taking up their cross and following Christ and living their life and using their time, talent, and treasure to bless their neighbor and they were evangelizing their neighbors and discipling. And if all these things were happening in their place of work, their place, you know, their place of business, where they do their work along the way in their neighborhoods, in their families, then, hey, let's keep doing it. It's fun. Mm-hmm. But if it's not getting the desired result, because this is a command of Christ, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, mm-hmm. and love your neighbor as yourself, and go and make disciples. Yep. And if we're not doing those things, if we're not effective at that, why would we continue doing that? Mm-hmm. So that's the why behind the what. If we're not getting the desired results, Jesus wouldn't continue doing it, would he? I, I don't think so. And the problem that I saw in the church is that this is this is a massive problem, I think. And I'm a geek. You and I are both geeks. You know, we loved, mm-hmm. gosh, par, I think part of the reason we set up all the technology is because we love figuring out the technology <laughs> and, and seeing it work. Like, man, we made that happen. It was yeah. awesome. You can cut this out if you need to. <laughs> no, but it was, it was awesome. And we geek out on that stuff. Yeah. And because I have somewhat of a computer and a geeky, nerdy background, I think a lot in ways of bandwidth, right? Mm-hmm. So I see the church, and I taught this at my church a while back, the church has massive bandwidth. There are billions of followers of Christ around the world. The problem in the American church is that we funnel that bandwidth down. We create a bottleneck through centralized leadership, a pastor, his staff, uh, whoever, you know, and then now all these people, the massive bandwidth look to the pastor and the staff to lead them in that one big thing we're going to do per year. And we're going to slap ourselves on the back and it's going to feel good because we actually did good. Mm -hmm. And actually when we do good, God brings those emotional feelings to us, Mm -hmm. right? And we do good in the name of Christ. the, The Bible says it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. And we feel great about it. I mean, if you want to give me your phone or something, that's cool. But I'd rather give my life away. And I found this as a result of giving my life away. I found the most peace, joy, and happiness as a result of that. Mm-hmm. And the reality is that we have taken the the need. It's a, a global need to reach people with the love of Jesus Christ, the gospel. And God's given us the bandwidth to do it through his people. But we have mapped on this institutional layer mm-hmm. that bottlenecks it and chokes it down to where, oh, well, all this good that we could have done, we can do 1% of that good now. Why? Because all of the dollars in the church are going towards keeping the church open for paying salaries, for all of these things, all of the good the church could do. We have a lot of other things. So when we started Activate Church, I just said, look, I'm not going to take a salary. 
I don't want a salary because if I don't get paid, then nobody else can be like, hey, how come I don't get paid? So the reality was, look, I'm not going to take a salary. Why? It's first principles again, because if I'm not taking a salary and I believe that God is my source and God can care for me and my family, then we can use those dollars that come in, the generous dollars of the kingdom for kingdom ministry. And I'm proud to say we give lots of money away to lots of different projects. And it's phenomenal to be able to do, but it, it all comes from the structure. It all comes from being decentralized and not having a heavy layer of administration and letting people know, hey, this is your church. You find a need. I, I even tell people, and this is probably going to upset some pastors. I go, look, here's the reality. God has given you your income. God has given you what you have. I said, before you give to this church, if you know a neighbor in need, if you know a family in need, you give to them and you meet that need in the name of Jesus Christ. And if that means you can't give money to this church, so be it. We don't need it. But God needs it in that person's life. And I believe if every believer on the face of the planet lives that way, mm -hmm. we would build relationships with our neighbors, our coworkers, our friends. If we were the most generous people in the world, the world would love us. That's why mm -hmm. they love Jesus. Like the, the unchurched and dechurched, they love Jesus and he loved them back. Yeah. And that was the great, why? Because he cared for them. He met their needs. He took time to listen to them. Mm -hmm. He went to the most broken, not the ones that were polished up that darken our doors on, yeah. on a Sunday morning. So in your opinion, it's not the best solution to gather thousands of people and have them hear from a singular voice and gathered around a singular voice? I can say this from experience, not a theory. I love learning from our people. I love seeing the gospel through their eyes so that we can express God's love in that, in that vein. I challenge our people all the time. We, we look, we, whenever we can, we don't do Sunday service and we go do serve days. Hmm. We just meet somewhere else and we do something kind in the name of God. We've, we've done all kinds of different things. Um, you know, one of them, one of, uh, this is a cool story. One of the families in our church fostering and adopting and uh, they had to take their child to visitation. Well, the building they went to, the social services building, uh, they kept recognizing that the visitation rooms were gross and toys were broken. And so it wasn't the best experience for these kids to have with their bio parent when they got to see them. And she just made the connection. She said, I'm going to speak to the director there. I'm going to find out if our church can come in. So we spent something like $3,000, $4,000 and got outsiders involved in what we're doing. And we had people donating couches to put in there and painting murals and stuff like that. And we used the energy of the people in the church to do good in the Lord's name to bless what's happening in our community to bless families. And I know that person, they, they felt like they contributed to the gospel. When, when you start seeing people realize that other ordinary people in your church have a voice and can come up with the idea, and then the church puts its dollars and its energy behind it, it unleashes all kinds of creativity. You start having people in your church start seeing need everywhere and then scheming on their own 
-hmm. How could I come up with a solution? Oh, I met that girl, Brenda. She does this. I wonder if she knows anybody that could do that. They start doing work on their own and then they bring it to leadership or whatever. And if that's the model you have and they say, hey, can we do something here? And my answer is, yeah, let's do it. If it's good and it's in the name of Christ, yes. The answer is yes, let's do it. Because what I see is using the corporate model, the, the gathering of us, what I'm trying to do is teach and disciple individuals and encourage them like, hey, we could do it together. And everybody's like, okay, I didn't have to come up with it. But the more we do those things together, the more the individual starts feeling as though they can do these things on their own, in their own time, with their own resources, on a smaller scale. And that's what we really need happening. We need small scale, acts of love, reaching people in your neighborhood, in your city, well, in your neighborhood, in your office. Christians have to be a light where they go. And the problem is, I think oftentimes we, that the church has been a stadium where we have really, really bright lights shining in certain areas. But if you've ever been around a stadium at night, if you live in a big city, it's lit up right there. And then you go a mile away and it's dark as can be. Hmm. And all the utter garbage and guttural everything's happening in the world the reality is those people disperse from that place and they go to those dark areas and we need billions of lights all around not just the one big light mm -hmm. is that's the way that i see it so are you are you uh, making the statement then that you believe that the centralized leadership system and around a singular vision concept of the institutional church you think that disempowers people and causes them to be passive you call does it deactivate them i believe so and then and then this way you feel that people are engaged empowered and energized when the bible says it, it's our job as leadership to equip saints for works of service I mean, I think that means the individual, and I believe that is an indication of a decentralized model. It's like hmm. I was speaking with my pastor friend Joel, and he he was taking on a he was taking on a new church, and they said, "Well, what do you see your role here being?" He said, "He said my role here is to train all of you to to coach all of you to do the work of the gospel out there." Well, but what do you think you're if I'm successful, I will train all of you and teach you guys and incentivize you guys to do the work in your neighborhood, in your homes, and to disciple people. That will be what is effective. Yeah. Uh, so I, I, I can't say, look, I, I, for me, it's just, it's evidence-based. Mm -hmm. I, I don't see a whole lot of, I don't see a, I don't see our world in the United States getting better as a result of the church. I said this a few weeks ago when I was teaching, I said, the reality is for most of American churches, what the world see when they see your sign, it says the church is dead because they don't care one way or the other. They drive by you like you were an open field, an empty field. And that's, that's just the reality. The church has become irrelevant and Jesus was not irrelevant. So some things have to change. I'm not saying I have all the answers. I'm on this adventure. We stated this from the get-go. Mm -hmm. I'm on this adventure and I'm willing. This is what I told my wife. I said, look, I don't know what the church is going to turn into. I, and I wouldn't put any stock in it. I wouldn't put, you know. Mm -hmm. I said, but I'm on this adventure and I have the freedom. And God wired me in such a way to do crazy things mm -hmm. 
at the moment to test, right? And when anything new comes to market, you got to get your early adopters. It's like, I see our church as an early adopter place. Hey, we're on an adventure together. Let's do this thing and see if it works. If not, we'll bring it back. We'll retweak it. Maybe we scrap it because it was terrible. But the reality is we're trying. And what I see our church as being, and I wish more churches would do this, would say, hey, we're going to experiment with a lot of things. Mm-hmm. And then if it's successful, then we can then go back to other churches, our brethren in our same city and say, hey, we were getting really great success over here. It's more need than we can do. Would you partner with us? Would you do some of these things with us? Because there are some churches, leadership, they're just not going to do it until they're, they're late adopters. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's, but we have to get this tipping point at first. And I see our church as one of those churches that can just be experimental and we try things. It's a lab. I see our church as a lab. We're experimenting with how the work, how the, how the gospel works in the United States in 2021, in my expression in Huntington Beach, California, what does that look like? What is working to reach people who are unchurched? Are we getting the results of people becoming fully devoted followers of Christ? Are we, are we shedding comfort? I mean, that's, God, we're, we're so, John, we, we worship comfort and luxury. We just do. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's so much I can complain about, and then my life is better than 99% of people in the world. So. Mm-hmm. What, what do you think gives you the, I mean, obviously your model. You the model gives, gives me the freedom. The freedom to experiment. Yeah. How so? So just like in in well, the in a nutshell, what what is different in a church that is operating in a different way than uh, yours? I've got nothing to lose. If everybody stops coming to our church, it doesn't matter. I don't have to stop, and I can always invite more people, and the church can shift. So I have nothing to lose because, and I don't need us. And this is the this is the difficult part. When you need a salary, when you need those things, it, it you're not free. You, you may think you're free to make decisions, but you can't just say, hey, we're going to do this. You know, I was, I was approached by, uh, I'll say this too, to the nutshell part, because then you can cut out whatever I say after this if you need to. Uh, Andy Stanley, I think brilliantly said, you keep people with what you catch them with. And from the beginning... I caught people with vision that we're going to be the church that is always trying to reach out to the downtrodden. We're always going to be trying to raise up individuals to take leadership roles, to do more and more for the benefit of people around us, for the glory of God in our city to be a model going forward, maybe. Uh, so we've just caught people with that idea from the beginning. So when I come up with a crazy idea, they're like, all right, let's try it. And, and I don't have to worry. Like if, if half the church leaves, it doesn't matter. I'm not getting paid from the church. So, mm-hmm. you know, I can, I have this freedom to be able to operate and that's what gives me the ability to do the things that we're doing. And, and it feels so great. It, it's just a great feeling to be able to experiment with God, to, to pray and to talk to him and say, God, as long as you give me something within my parameters and in my box, I'll do that. But if not, uh, mm-hmm. guy down the street <laughs> might be able to accomplish that. So that is, 
I think to answer your question, that is what it is. The, it's, it's what gives me the freedom. It's like I never I never told people, hey, we're going to have a rock and band or we're, you're going to have this level of, you know, experience. I told you I'm going to be here. I'm going to be faithful to the gospel. We're going to do some things in the name of Jesus. We're going to love people well. We're going to love each other so that the world knows that when they come here, like we really do love each other and we're going to see what God does. And and that's the extent of it. That's awesome. So um, it really is. So so that is kind of the large picture of the why um, the motives, the motives behind everything kind of covered a lot of that. Can you, what I want to do as well is I want to, for, for pastors or for leaders, uh, wherever they may be that are in a uh, setting to where they want some practical ideas or mm -hmm. things that, okay, how could I re-engage or, or retool or what are some things that, that you've done? Can you describe just here for the next few minutes, some of the different things that you guys have been able to try that you felt are unique, maybe in your context and then how those worked. Yeah. Maybe some problems that you ran into uh, this, serve as a warning to other people as well. Okay. This is, um, I'll think as I'm talking, sometimes I can do that effectively, sometimes <laughs> not. Uh, I think one of the coolest things we did early on, and uh, one of the coolest things we did early on is I did a series on giving. And it wasn't a traditional series on giving. I had different people who I saw... Look, if we're supposed to give of our time, our talent, and our treasure, I broke out the series on people who were who were relational givers. Man, they would just love on people. The people who were financial givers, people, and we went on down there. People who would give of their time, man, they would just give. You know, they would, if you ask, hey, I need a volunteer. Their first one, their name's always first on the list. You already got their number. You don't even have to sign the list because you know they're going to be there. So I had different people in our church come up and teach those different weeks. And the reality is uh, the last week I taught myself and I said, I said, look, here's what we're going to do. We as Americans have to realize that everything that we have is God's and everything that we have, we don't need all of it. So a lot of it should be given away of our time, our talent and our treasure. Now, to model this, what we did as a church is through our leadership, we said, hey, Anybody who comes to church on this last Sunday, we're going to give each adult $150. We're going to give each kid $50. So we had money, $50 bills clipped in three increments of three and increments of one. So there were families that were taking home several hundred dollars. And what we said to them is like, this is between you and God. We were doing this as a way for you to be able to realize that the money that you guys gave just came to us. We gave it back to you because it was money you didn't need, obviously, right? Mm -hmm. We're giving it back to you and we want you to pray about who you can bless. Who needs this money? Who needs it? Maybe it's three people. Maybe you pull all of your family's money together and you bless somebody very significantly. Maybe you do a lot of things, but it's up to you. That's between you and God. And the reality is if you need it yourself, then it's okay if you have it too. And I had a conversation with a pastor friend of mine. He was trying to, he wanted our church to be uh, part of this uh, one. He wanted our church to be one of their campuses. And I said, I said, I can't do that. I said, and here's the reason why, because I just did this thing with the money. 
I would have had to go through 14 different layers and argue ad nauseum for weeks and weeks. And the final answer likely would have been no. And I couldn't do what I believe God was putting on my heart to do, to lead these people, to put money in their hand. Now say, go do good in the name of Christ. And we heard stories come back. And, and I think we have to seed that. We have to, as the church, we have to seed that. In our, how many churches have you ever been to where they gave you money to go and give away? <laughs> you know, that's the kind of radical church. I want that message to get out. What if every church in America took one week's tithes and offerings and every church in the United States did the same thing? And then we had a f single Facebook feed of the good that was done. Mm -hmm. What would it look like if people got to get online and share their story of how God used them to use $150 or $50? And we had this feed that was indefinite and you could go hear story after mm -hmm. story. How would that change the world if they got to peek into what Christians are about? Look, we did it on a small scale, but we should all be doing this. If I asked this question a couple of weeks ago, John, I said, I was talking about neighboring. I go, what if, if the Bible does say, and it does say, at least my Bible does, I don't know, maybe, maybe yours doesn't, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. And the second is to love your neighbor as yourself. It is a command. If we took that literally mm -hmm. and we loved our neighbors with our money, not my money, it's God's money, with my time and with my talent, if every Christian on the face of the planet was activated to do that, how long would it take for our communities to change? My whole life I've grown up in church. I literally cut my teeth on the backs of wooden pews. I have that flavor in my mouth. It's a comfort food. The reality is that we can go very deep into theology, systematic theology, all of that. But the gospel is super simple. It's to love God and it's to love people. It's to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow Jesus. That's difficult. It's simple, but it's super duper difficult, especially with all the distractions that we have in the United States. I mean, we can be distracted till the end of time. The, the device in your pocket right now will distract you from the gospel all day long. It's super simple and it's difficult. And I think the reason this hurts to say, the reason that we've done church for so long, I think in a lot of different ways, is because we would rather do take the path of least resistance. Mm -hmm. It's easier to get up on Sunday morning and to teach beautiful sermon about something in the Bible, the Beatitudes. It's super difficult to hold people accountable for their faith. And it's not our job necessarily to do that. But if we're not teaching that regularly, like if you're not denying yourself, taking up your cross and following Christ, I, 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 that's between you and God, but I, I don't know. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't want to be there. There are scripture passages in Matthew and throughout the Bible that, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't want to stand in front of God and go, yeah, I, you know, I had some nice cars and some things, had some great experience. Man, I really love when you sent me to Hawaii. Great, man. I love Florida and that was rad. And he's like, 
What did you deny yourself again? Hmm. How did you take up an instrument of torture, your cross? What was your cross to bear in this life? And again, how did you follow me? That just burns in my mind and in my heart. And love your neighbor as yourself. If we did those things, God, I mean, that's how the church grew. That's how, that's how you and I are sitting here talking about a religion that was started 2,000 years ago. Is it not? It is. Be- because people denied themselves and they were killed and they were tortured and they were abused and they took up their own cross and they took in outsiders with diseases. I mean, how many Christians would be willing to take coronavirus patients into their home to care for them in their need. Hmm. That's what the church did. This life should mean nothing to us, except that we get to glorify and honor God. And if we're not doing that, then what the heck are we doing? Mm -hmm. Because this life is like, the Bible says it's like a vapor. It's over. And then everything on the other side, like that's, that's our reward, right? The Bible says, store up your treasures in heaven, not here on earth. So you know, that's, that's kind of what I'm all about. That's my driving principle. That's the axiom that I live by. If we're not being effective, if I'm not suffering a little bit, then I know something's probably wrong in my life. If things are going too easy, but we can try to avoid suffering, right? Yeah. I mean, I suffered outside here, getting in the humid air, right? I'm like, come on, alleviate Welcome. my suffering, John. Turn the air conditioner on. Welcome to Houston, Texas. It's 60 degrees in this room, and I love not suffering from the heat. Mm-hmm. But we as Americans are we have a love affair with comfort and, and that's, what's going to have to die first. And it's going to have to start with leadership too, because people will keep coming as long as we keep giving them what they want to hear. The Bible says that we'll tickle their ears. And I just want to be about that. You know, that's phenomenal. Well, so we're going to have to wrap this episode up. Um, if they want to connect with you, how can they find you on social media, Facebook, or email? How or what's the website? How do, how do they connect with you if they want to say? If you want to email me, they can email me. Uh, it's easy. Selly C E L E at activate me TV. Um, that's my email. You can send that there. Um, I get my phone number out. I don't care. I'll answer it. If not, I'll just ban your phone number. So. <laughs> yeah. So we'll have them start with. Yeah. A, the reason I don't, have, I don't have social media, I I think that's a whole nother podcast in and of itself. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. Yeah. We'll leave that there. Okay. So they can reach out, and then the church website is activateme.tv. Activateme.tv. And it's uh, very minimal. It yeah. might have our last family camp. Think of them there. Yeah. It definitely doesn't have the address of where you're meeting next because it does not you, you have a pin and dropped the into the park center <laughs> if you want park. to find us the lord can lead you yeah okay all right well sally thanks for being on the John, show today i really appreciate you I cherish your friendship and this is just incredible today all mm. right we'll talk to you guys later uh on our next episode of embassy coalition podcast